Los Angeles LAX Airport, 1964. Two baggage workers are unloading crates off a long-haul flight from Melbourne. As they throw the items off the plane with reckless abandon, one of the men spots a light shining through the cracks of a wooden crate upside down in the corner of the bay. The curious man peeks through the crack in the crate and spots what he believes to be a dead body. As he begins to yell out to his co-worker, Hey, there's a dead body in there. The eyes on the body open and a weak voice calls out, I'm alive. This is Stupid Crime. A not-so-smooth criminal has taken the idea of an open bar to the next level. A man's comments on a Rockdale County Sheriff's Department Facebook post helped get him arrested. Providence Police tell us they've arrested a man wanted in a pair of unusual attempted robbery. Magistrate said the drunken prank could have ended a lot worse. With a drawn-on disguise, the robber rips off a local pawn shop. A man who was part of a Chawong restaurant shooting may be one of Brisbane's dumbest criminals. And the man was arrested Thursday on warrants for felony violation. Crime does not pay. We're in the prison ward of Los Angeles General Hospital, where Brian Robeson formerly of Australia, has made an unexpected visit. His tale was as astonishing then as it is today. The Welshman and his belongings, who flew halfway around the world, stuffed into a cargo crate. It's 1964, and 19-year-old Brian Robson has just arrived in Melbourne, Australia, fresh from Wales. He'd come to start a new life and secured a job with Victorian Railways. But things didn't go as planned. After a few months, Robson realised that Australia just wasn't for him. Maybe it was the drop bears, the scorching heat, or maybe it was a combination of being homesick, unhappy with his job, and some very, very bad living arrangements. It was absolutely disgusting. It was rat infested. It was a hostel. It was yeah. absolutely rat. You had rats running around everywhere. Uh, it was, I've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, I'm not used to living in a high-class uh, place, but I certainly wouldn't have ne- had never lived or would never live in a place like that again. Uh, it was disgusting, really. And the food, oh my goodness. <laughs> to be honest with you, the Victorian Railways and Australian government told so many lies. And when you got there, it was completely different to what you were expecting. Uh, also, at the time, you know, there were many families going in. Families had their family members for company and whatever. I was on my own. And so I was really bored, perhaps. I, I just wanted to come back to the UK. However, there was one problem. Robson couldn't afford to get back home. So frustrated and desperate, Robson hatches a plan to smuggle himself back to Wales in a wooden crate. A foolproof idea that sounds like it was concocted by a group of grade three kids. To get back in those days was very difficult to get anywhere. There was only one jet fly and that was the Boeing 707. And uh, I went to an exhibition in Melbourne with my two friends, John and Paul, and they were both immigrants as well from Ireland. Uh, We... Uh, looked around the exhibition and we came across a booth which was from a company called Pickford's and they had a big sign up we can move anything anywhere (laughs) and I thought and I think I said to Paul and John well they could move us with the help of his two friends John and Paul Robson buys a 30 by 26 by 38 inch box now for those that don't use that chaotic system this is it in centimeters 76 by 66 by 96 and he spends about a month planning his escape from Australia with his two pals. They make sure there's enough room inside for Robson and his suitcase, even though, judging by those measurements, you're already imagining that doesn't seem big enough at all. Of course, we had just enough room for suitcase. Uh, Myself to sit with my legs up in the air, 
uh, like back against one wall sort of thing. That was the maximum size that Qantas would accept COD, cash on delivery, which is how it was sent. And that was the maximum size they would send. So, um, and I was lucky to find that box. It took me about three or four days to find a box. They even conduct though, a couple of trial runs where Robson gets inside the box, his friends seal it, and he spends a few hours sitting in there just to make sure that it's comfortable. Now inside the wooden box, he also had a pillow, a torch, a bottle of water, and another empty bottle for, well, I guess you could put two and two together. Or actually, it's more of a case of number ones, isn't it? Uh, well, I took one pint of water in a glass bottle and one empty glass bottle. For obvious reasons, I might need to dispose of the water. I did once uh, urinate, actually not in the crate. I used the whole of the aircraft instead. What, you did it through the box? Well, actually, I turned onto my side <laughs> at, with a lot of a lot of trouble, and yes, I relieved myself. That's quite gifted, the John. The so ready to go, Robson jumps into the box. John and Paul nail it shut and send Robson on his way to the airport in Melbourne, where the crate is then loaded onto a plane. They plaster fragile stickers all across it, and the plan is off to a great start. Brian will be back in London on his way to Wales in no time. But this wouldn't be stupid crime if things didn't quickly go wrong. First, the crate was put onto the tarmac upside down in Sydney, causing Robson to lose all sense of direction and become disorientated and then spend the next 23 hours upside down until he was finally placed upright on a connecting flight. Early in the morning, I got in there and wriggled around a bit, put my knees up into my chest. Then, after saying goodbyes, they nailed the lid on and the... The truck came and picked it up and took me to the airport. Frightening, terrible. Although the crate had this side up written on it, it was immediately turned upside down, as most airport workers do. Uh, and so I was standing on my neck and my head uh, for probably up to 23 hours, actually. Now, just imagine that, lying upside down for 23 hours in a box so small that you cannot rejig yourself. This box was made to harness himself to the site, so being upside down is the worst possible situation for Robson. After this, he then spends an agonising five days trapped in the crate, far longer than what was expected. What Robson failed to realise is that when travelling in cargo, you also don't get the warmth and oxygen-filled cabin on a usual flight. So he sat almost freezing to death, gasping for air whilst flying across countries and oceans. In the aircraft itself, there was hardly any oxygen because they weren't pressurised in those days. And so you're struggling to breathe, you're passing out, you're going in and out of consciousness all the time. Uh, and in the end, you don't know where you are and you don't know whether you're actually in a crate or you're dreaming it. You really don't know. And your breathing became very sort of restricted. Um, and it was cold, uh, really cold. Well, after experiencing what can only be described as the worst middle seat flight ever, Robson felt the plane touch down. But after the freezing cold and the lack of oxygen, food and sufficient water, he was too weak to reach for the hammers that had dropped and bounced around in his journey. He tried to yell out of the crate, but he was too weak to make a loud enough sound for anyone to hear. And it wasn't until a worker spotted the glow of his flashlight through the cracks in the crate that he was finally removed from his wooden turn. I tried to look at the time, because I thought I was in London. I didn't realise I was in Los Angeles. So I reached across maybe six inches from my nose. I had a torch hanging up there. And I got the torch to look at my watch, um, which I did. Uh, and at the same time, I dropped the torch and I couldn't pick it up. I was too, 
too much in agony to pick it up, too much in pain to pick it up. And it shot, it shot out through the, one of the slats in the um, crate. And two airport workers walked past and one said, there's a light coming from that crate. And they walked over and started looking around. And there was a little notch hole uh, on one of the sides. And one of them bent down on his knees and looked, put his eye up to the notch hole and looked inside. Well, had there been an Olympic Games that year, he'd have won for the backflip. I have never seen anybody move so quickly backwards <laughs> and fall over, whilst at the same time screaming there's a body in the crate. Robson was quickly taken to hospital and it took several days for doctors to simply straighten out his legs, which had become cramped in the bent position for almost five days in transit. The longer it went on, the more comfortable it became. I couldn't move. And, and my muscles seized up, my joints seized up. Now, just because he got off at LAX didn't mean he was off scot-free. In fact, part of his journey had broken several laws, both in Australia and in America. Several Australian lawmakers even moved to take legal action against Robson, but the officials ended up letting it go. And the American authorities, after seeing these damaged goods arrive on their shores, eventually dropped the charges of illegal entry after they confirmed his British nationality. After the US officials decided that Robson was not a threat, Pan American Airlines ended up flying him home for free. Once the Americans were convinced he wasn't a Cold War spy, Brian finally returned to Britain. First class, Pan American, actually. Wow, uh, yes. nice. And, and I've, got to, I've got to say, Dermot, that I, you know, the Americans, the FBI, the CIA, the American people, I never made so many friends in such a short time. They were wonderful. Did you regret it? Uh, I never regretted it. Even when you were in there? Even when I was in there. I made my mind up and I was suffering. I really was suffering in bad ways. 